You are listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to those humans who were here before us, who lived well and died well. Those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful from our ancestor lines to us. Those who are here to assist us, to help us to do what the living must do in their time. So that all that is here, uh, that is needed for the descendants who are coming. I ask these ancestors to help us to live in such a way that our ancestors will not curse us and think they have come from the most horrible line of human beings. I ask these ancestors to help us to do what must be done at this critical time on this planet so that our ancestors sing our songs with love and gratitude to us for showing up in our time and doing what needed to be done so that they did not inherit a dying planet. So I call out to these ancestors to gather with us here today as we come to the close of the first year, the transition from the old world into the new world. I call out to these ancestors to gather around, help us to have the courage, help us to have the clarity and the insight and the deep, deep, hard-won understanding that the only way that this will happen is together. And I ask the ancestors to help us to wake up, help us to have the courage to act, and help us to act in a way that brings love into manifestation in the world in a way that is good for all living things. Help us to do and be what we were born to do and born to be. May we be the people our descendants sing of with love and gratitude, and they reach to us for their inspiration. So I call out to those who've gone before us to inspire us to gather round and to be with us here today and to help us. And with those ancestors gathered round in great gratitude, let us draw our energy in to our heads, from our heads to our hearts from our hearts to our bellies and our bellies down to the earth and let us reach out and touch the earth and for a moment pause to reach to the earth in great gratitude for life, for all that has been, that has brought you to this moment, for all that is and for all that will be. Take a moment to give great thanks to the earth for the beauty for the diversity, for wonder, and for magic. Give thanks to the earth for all of these things, for this beautiful home that we all share. And with gratitude in our hearts, we reach down through all the layers of this earth, all the way down to the very center of the earth. And we touch that center and take a moment and breathe in, draw in through our pores, draw into our heart, This essence energy of restoration and rejuvenation, this energy that restores, this energy that allows us to finally truly rest and to recover, to rejuvenate and gestate new ideas for this new world. And so we draw the energy of the earth up rising up through all the layers of the earth and into our bodies, bringing with us this wisdom of manifestation. And with this energy of the earth, let us choose to be grounded. Let us choose to connect, to build a sense of home, a sense of belonging, a sense of place 
in this world that is not built on isolation, but is built on the confidence in your own sovereignty and dominion of yourself and your ability from that place to open your arms, to open your heart, to know where you stand and then to open to others who are different from you and know that this is how you will learn and grow to be even more than the person you are in this moment. So may we create a sense of home that is open to the other. May we create a sense of place that is grounded in the moment and willing to move. May we create a sense of belonging that reaches back through all of our ancestors to a deep and true understanding that we all came from the same first people. Let us to begin, let us begin to act that way. And so with the energy of the earth drawn into us, let us feel a sense of connection, interconnection, and oneness with all things. And from that oneness, let us draw into ourselves right relationship with ourself. And from that, extend out into right relationship with others, right relationship with our environment, right relationship with all the other living things in that environment, and right relationship with the invisible world. With those unseen factors that influence us so profoundly, let us move into right relationship with those energies and begin to wield ourselves in these relationships in a good way. And we give thanks to the earth for the ever-present teaching of how to do that, that we can see in any ecosystem. Of course, that is any ecosystem that still stands, that we have not yet destroyed. So we give thanks to the earth for the persistence in this teaching that it is through the interrelationship of diverse beings that life flourishes. Let us be part of that great celebratory tapestry of life. So with this intention in our hearts, let us rise up with the energy of the earth from the hearts to the head and the head out through the sky and whatever crazy weather that holds for you at this time, out through the atmosphere and all the way out into the cosmos, reaching all the way up into the velvety heavens, out through the great mysteries and all the heavenly bodies. Let us take a moment to caress and be caressed by the great wonders of our universe as we reach all the way to the highest power and by whatever name we know that energy. It matters not. Let us reach that energy and draw it down, inviting into ourself, inviting into our day, inviting into these proceedings, the energy of blessing, not just for ourselves, but for life. We call in the energy of protection, not just for yours, but for life. We call in the energy of devotion and commitment and generosity. We call these energies into ourself, into our day. We ask for this help. And in the asking, we stand ready to offer it where the moment needs it. And so with this great energy from above coming into our heads, our hearts, our bellies, and we send it down to the center of the earth, we connect this center channel and focus in on these energies within our body. This dance of heaven and earth, yin and yang, this big love, these two great legendary lovers within us. We give thanks for the fact that these energies merge in the bodies of a human, the way we've chosen to be here at this time. And we ask that big love to awaken our human hearts, to awaken our hearts to be that crucible of change that it is uniquely designed to be unlike any other space in the body. It is uniquely designed to draw up the fiery passions of the belly and down the crystal clarity of the mind and to hold these energies together in great passionate dance that they might birth in some way without the destruction of either a third as yet unknown energy which is your unique genius that which you came into this life to bring. And may you know that a bit more clearly in this day. May you draw on these energies to support you and find in your heart the courage to do something large or small, to bring that gift out and into the world. So I give great thanks to all of the spirit energies around us, to our helping spirits, the spirits of the land and the great spirits of the land where we all live.
such gratitude and abundance for this abundance of help from spirit. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard. And may we go forward in a way that is good for all living things. So I give special thanks to Deborah and Sarah, to Patricia and Gracie. Uh, These four women are constant supporters of this show. They are the constancy that that holds this show up um, so that it is here for the rest of us. And so I give great thanks to these four women and their their humble yet constant support. It is, it is uh, deeply touches my heart, and I am very, very grateful. For those of you that don't know, this show is listener-supported. And uh, you can donate any amount, large or small. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com, click the support button, and donate. You can set up in your own PayPal account a monthly recurring payment so you don't even have to remember to do it. And all of this, any amount, large or small, um, is much – I'm very grateful for all of it. I don't really expect – to, to, to call in sponsors that are going to bring tens of thousands of dollars or even thousands. But I would hope that a thousand of you could give $5 or the equivalent in your own currency and that in this way we can keep the show alive and on the air and relevant. And know that those of you that do um, afford to pay for the show, keep it available for those who truly can't. And there are many people in the world that can get to the show's but can't afford to offer anything financially. And as long as they are using the show in a way that builds their life in a good way, this is a great exchange. And I ask those of you that can't donate financially to do something in some way in your own life that can keep the show alive and strong. Um, Use what you learn on the show. Let me know how that goes in your life. Bring these things into your journey circles. Learn to journey. Um, Do whatever it takes to help me to keep the show alive and on the air and vital and relevant to you. So great gratitude to all of you. Thank you ever so much. We are live here today. If you have questions about the show's topic, which is finding your life magic, you can call in at 512-772-1938 or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. Or you can just email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And for those of you that don't know, the um, radio show has a Facebook page and the show gets posted there and it lets you know what show is coming up and you can email me questions about the show before the show is even created and the, and the questions will get incorporated into the show. That's a possibility. Um, so let's forge ahead here. So again, our show for this uh, for today is about finding life magic. So back in another life, long ago in a land far, far away, I was a chemistry major. And the thing about chemistry is that you actually have to learn years of chemistry, years and years of chemistry, before you actually start to learn anything about chemistry. Because chemistry occurs on a scale of life that is unfathomably small compared to our life, which is in centimeters or millimeters or, you know, increments that we can sense. And the thing about chemistry is the whole thing occurs on this unbelievably, unfathomably small scale. And so you do a whole lot of work in chemistry. You learn a bunch of principles. You learn to do the math. You learn these concepts. And and without even realizing it, you are actually learning them by rote because your tiny little human mind cannot grasp this world that chemistry is actually talking about. And you just – you learn and learn and learn and work and work and work. And never really realize that you actually haven't gotten it. Now, I mean, most of you today get the concept of an atom and that it's unbelievably small. And you get the concept of a molecule made up of atoms. And most people get that basically. But when you actually work with them, you have to talk about this thing called a mole. A mole is is a measurement 
it's it's a quantity of atoms basically it's a quantity of stuff right and that you you have to talk about chemistry in terms of moles to even get to a a quantity of something we can even begin to talk about from our tiny human minds so you can talk about a mole of this or six moles of that and um, this this is necessary because the scale that chemistry happens on is just completely outside of our reality. It is outside of our reality small compared to measuring something in our in our normal infinitesimally small forms of measurement. So as you study chemistry, these ideas about this impossibly small world just keep pounding away. So they just kept pounding away at my little story of reality, which was pretty much like your story of reality at the time. You know, pretty much measured in centimeters, in heartbeats, in footsteps, in a breath in, a breath out. Measured by what you could see under a microscope. You know, that most of us think that's like unbelievably small. You can see that thing on Facebook with really crazy things once you see them under a microscope. You know, it's just a flea, but it looks like a monster. And then you realize all those Hollywood people that create all those monsters for movies really aren't creating anything because they're just making a great big flea. Okay, right. So that's the level that we live on. We, 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 we understand that all, basically. That's kind of part of our reality. But even years into studying chemistry, you – don't yet realize that the, that the extreme level chemistry is happening on, the smallness of it, is simply outside of our reality. But you study it nonetheless. So eventually, somewhere along the way, this impossibly small world that is hammering at your everyday ordinary reality human world, it finally breaks through. So there was this day that it finally broke through and that I, as this student, finally got the world through the eyes of an atom instead of the eyes of a human. And so you get finally what it really means that there is a mole of something and you get that there are moles of things that are not waves and they're not particles. They're both. And you get that in these moles of stuff, which is already challenging enough to get, is that it's mostly space, not stuff. So for me, this happened in a lecture on Einstein's theories of relativity, but it doesn't have to happen there. It can happen actually at any point, given the mind, given the person whose little human brain is being hammered away at by these ideas about this impossibly small world. You know, and there may be an equivalent for people work in, in this impossibly big world in, in the universe, in that scope. There's probably a complementary, a parallel story. I just didn't do that. I just did this one with the impossibly small world. But it, it finally happens and you finally get that there's no here here. There is no reality here that the story we tell ourselves that spins out our experience of reality, it just simply unravels when you accept this other reality. So suddenly I was viewing life through the science eyes of this impossibly small world of energy um, instead of everyday human eyes. And I could see, you know, that everything is energy. And that everything is actually of the same energy. And that this energy that is my body and makes up all the different organs and bones and muscles and parts of my body is exactly the same energy that is having this thought in my head. All right? And that it is exactly the same energy that is in my friend Jenny Brophy's crazy hair, who happened to be sitting right next to me at the time I'm having this moment, and exactly the same energy as the desk that I am sitting on, even though all of this energy is mostly space. And so in that awareness, in that final breaking down of my human idea of reality, I had my second mystical experience 
I lost this world. I was in the energy reality, the world that is underneath the world that we live in. And, and what is important about this story is that science taught me that our world, this world we agree, this thing we participate in that is our world, that is this supposedly solid physical reality. It's a very convincing illusion that this world that we believe in is, in the very fact of it, magic. Because there is no other way to, to even in the full scientific understanding of the energy and the math of it and how it all works to get from pure energy into this reality that we're experiencing, even when you actually understand how that happens, it's still magic. It's an unbelievable part of reality. And this is our reality every day. So my point really is that there is this beautiful, sensual, rich, diverse reality to experience that we're living in. And given, given that the fact, the scientific reality, that it's really just energy and space, that, that paradox, that fact is simply magical. And the fact that we can explain it does not make it any less magical. See, we think that fact, sort of quote-unquote fact, and quote-unquote magic are in opposition. But if you actually study real science, not bullshit try-to-prove-a-point science, but real science, like ask questions of the universe and deal with your answers science, right? Real science. If you study science long enough you will get your world blown apart by seeing the facts of our existence, which is innately magical. I mean, in, in many ways, <clears throat> because religion didn't work so well for me as a kid, which is not a diss on religion, it was just me, didn't work so well for me, didn't make sense. I pursued science because I wanted to understand my world. And science did explain my world. And what it proved to me is that my world is magical. Factually magical. So life as we experience it, life itself is a miracle that we don't truly understand. That's magic. Magic is here every day embedded in the reality of our life just like air. It is elemental. So, if you aren't experiencing a little bit of magic in the day, then you are not grounded in reality. So, if you're not experiencing the magic, which is already here, inherent in everything, then you are not grounded in it. You're not in everything. You're not here. You're not in reality. So, if you're not in reality, where are you? So if you aren't experiencing this little bit of magic in the day, where are you? Where are you grounded? So I find it endlessly fascinating in a sort of macabre sort of way, the enormously big deal people make out of not being grounded and not, quote unquote, knowing how to ground. This is a big issue for me. I've been working at it for years and I still can't do it. It's like, what? Being grounded is a choice. If you aren't grounded, then you are choosing not to be grounded. That is the whole and complete story. And Betsy Bergstrom, for example, has offered us the, a beautiful response to this very simple truth um, in one of her interviews. I, and I didn't have time to figure out which one it was. But anyway, what she said is that she tends by her nature and constitution to be very porous, to be a little out of her body to be, in a sense, ungrounded, especially upon waking. So her first act of every day, her choice, is to lead herself through an energy practice 
of gathering her energy, drawing herself back into her body, aligning with her true self in her body, and connecting herself and her body to the earth. And I'm sure in there, there's an enormous bunch of gratitude as well. So she knows herself. She chooses daily to be grounded and engages in the practices she needs to make good on that choice. Now, some of you, whenever I, I say this often, granted, and some of you say, but what about me? I'm too grounded. I'm too stagnant, too unable to lift out. Same idea. Know your tendency, know your, your, your constitution and use the practices in the morning to gather yourself, connect down to the center of the earth Right and up to the highest power of the universe, back to your physical center in your belly, and to have a sense if you're if you're stagnant to, that that energy is moving in your center channel, and it's moving so that your belly then becomes this energy that moves out into the world. This is all about choosing to be grounded in this reality where magic is. So it's all about choosing to be grounded it's not a drama it's not a big healing that you need it's not any of that it is a choice and then a willingness to back up that choice with whatever the practices are that you need to balance yourself out in a way that allows you to function in the day in a way that is grounded in reality and if you actually do that you will see magic that's all there is to grounding So see clearly the reality of who you are energetically, choose to be grounded, engage in the practices that allow you to create grounding, period. For some of you, you may need to add a step, and that step is called find the practice, granted, right? See clearly the reality of who you are energetically, choose to be grounded, that's number three, uh, two, sorry, engage in the practices that allow you to create grounding, three, you're done for the day. Right? So some of you need to, before step three, you need to find the practice. Grant, that could, that could be true. But honestly, for most of you, you already know what you need to do. You just don't choose to do it. I cannot tell you how many times I hear, yes, but. Yes, I know that, but. But what? Why? Why, if you actually know grounding is a choice, you actually know what you need to do to be grounded, do you still choose to not be grounded? Why? Well, because under the simple and very unsexy truth of being grounded, that you actually need to choose to be grounded, under that very simple, unsexy truth, you just need to choose it and do it. it it's not a drama, drama. It's not a story. It's simple, right? But it's not sexy, right? So under that, under that simple choice lies a deeper belief and dare I say a sexier story. And that sexy story goes something like this. That out of body, out of my body feeling I have where I sense everything in this state of being that, you know, that's me being a shaman and it's my superpower. When I'm out of my body, I feel everything and this state of being is my special psychic ability and this is how I know I'm being called. That's the sexy story. Most of you are seduced by some idea that this state that is actually just you being ungrounded is somehow special. And somehow what, what proves to you and supposedly everyone else that you should be the whatever. So back here in reality land, where there are actual shamans roaming the earth, you will find that indigenous shamans are some of the most grounded in reality and delighted people that you will meet. And this leads me back to magic. Shamans worldwide are deeply grounded people that are engaged in altered states of consciousness on purpose. And usually the purpose is not personal. 
not my personal little drama about how special I am, but it's on purpose for someone or something else. So anyway, shamans are these deeply grounded people. They engage on purpose in alternate states of consciousness to do something that is practical and effective in ordinary reality. You know, so how can these shamans who are so well-traveled in our alternate states of consciousness be so happy here, grounded in their bodies in reality? Especially given the fact that many of them live in what we would consider poverty. Hard lives, no running water, certainly no hot running water. You got to walk forever to go get fresh water, you know, food, survival. These things are challenging. We would consider their lives lived in poverty and yet they are grounded and most of them fairly well delighted with life. How can that be? Because they are grounded in a cosmology that acknowledges the magic inherent in our physical world. They are not trying to escape it. They're not trying to escape their bodies. They're living in this world. Shamanic cosmologies do not require faith. They arise out of our experience in the natural world. Um, in all of the simple reality. Like the reality that makes corn grow. Dirt. Rain. Sunshine. A fish. Right? Got to plant a fish with the corn. Right? And they're grounded in the magic in the fact that the corn does grow. And the playful fact that when you sing to the corn at the right time, in the right way, singing that correct corn song, the corn grows magnificently. And then there's even the real magic that anyone can sit with the corn, grounded into the same earth as the corn, Feel the energies present in that and just open up your mouth and sing. And yes, I mean sing whatever comes out and the corn will grow magnificently. Yes, corn grows. I get it. You can choose to dismiss that as ordinary or you can choose to see it as ordinary everyday magic. There is magic in the fact that the mighty oak is in each acorn. That is everyday, ordinary magic. And there are several awarenesses embedded in shamanic cosmologies, you know, which was our topic last week. And I'm kind of working us towards next week's show with Sandy talking about getting shamanic practices out of the box. And so this show today is, in a sense, about getting yourself out of the box. Get out of your box. Get into real reality and feel the magic in life, even when your life isn't perfect. So there are several awarenesses embedded in in shamanic cosmologies that make that easier to do. And so the first is the oneness. This is a shared aspect of shamanic cosmologies. So in a sense, we did not get kicked out of the garden. We are still living in it. Okay, that's the difference. The oneness is intact. We, there was never this act of separation. That act of separation, that story is a great lie. What did happen is we forgot in all of our great human cleverness, we forgot. We forgot how to talk to the plants. We forgot how to talk to the animals. We forgot that we needed to care about them as much or more than we cared about ourselves because without them, we cannot live. So we forgot. We forgot to talk to the beings that mattered. So you want to learn that language again? You can begin. There are many first steps, but here's one possible step. You can begin to remember that original language or the mother tongue. You can begin by choosing to live in a way that you see the magic. Does corn just grow? Or is it actually magical that corn grows? That any seed nut grows? 
that any human grows inside its mother's belly. Is that just ordinary? Or are you going to choose to remember that is magic? That is the most important magic we've got going. So another aspect of shamanic cosmologies that supports us in being grounded in reality, not escaping it, and thus working better with our altered states, but that's a different show. I won't go there right now. But being grounded in reality and seeing the magic in our world is that inherent in these shamanic cosmologies is the awareness of hmm, something that we have called the great mystery. There are many, many names for this great mystery, and most of them are completely untranslatable into English because we don't even have this concept that there is something out there that we can't know. And this is one of my favorite um, translations of the name for the great mystery, which is uh, that the one that is unknowable. Right? By its very, very nature, it is a mystery. It's the thing that knowledge can't eat. And there is a wilderness in it at its very heart. There is a wildness that dances with the very order that manifests life. So if we go back to those little moles, those little moles of atoms of things, all those energies have to order themselves, have to become highly organized to be a human kidney, for example. But not just to be a human kidney, but to wake up every morning as a human kidney. It's a high, high, high state of organization. It's a miracle. It's magic, right? And there is a wildness in the great mystery that lives in this dynamic tension with that order that is necessary to manifest life. And even in that destructive force of that, that chaos, there is a fierce love. And that fierce love in manifestation is life. We've tried to make it safe. We've tried to conquer the wilderness. We've tried to do many foolish things. And in these acts, we have been misguided because in these acts, we have whitewashed life of its mystery. Of that great mystery that is at the heart of it all, that has innate in it that chaos, that wildness, that is that which allows life to take order and to happen. It's a great, great paradox, a great uh, dynamic in shamanic cosmologies that helps us stay alive in the magic, to take sustenance from that wildness and that magic, to not run around like small children and make everything safe. You know, there's research out there right now about how in America we've made our playgrounds too safe for kids. You know, they're so safe, nobody ever breaks their arms or hurts themselves. And consequently, they grow up needing a world that's padded. It's ridiculous. There's nothing wrong with breaking your arm once in a while. As a kid, you'll heal, teach you something. So, number three. So in shamanic cosmologies, you also find the trickster. And this is an enormous help in seeing the magic and needing to stay grounded. So the trickster is the gatekeeper at that exchange between that chaos and order, that, that place out of which life comes. He is, in the words of Lewis Hyde, the complement to fate. He represents the elements of life not accounted for by fate or destiny. So I cannot tell you how many times I have sat in awe at the ordinary magic of some moment in any given day. And in that awe of that magic, of that pausing for that moment to notice and go, ah, and to be renewed by seeing, feeling, noticing that magic. Cannot tell you how many times in that moment I feel the tap. I feel the subtle change in the environment around me. 
and I hear, you think that's cool, look at this. And in that moment, in the magic that is in that moment, that pinprick of a place, that magic place where ordinary reality and this real reality underneath it all kind of come together, they touch, that's that magic. And the very fact that I've chosen to notice that opens as a gateway by trickster to the unimaginable, the absolutely undescribable, unimaginable, unfathomable otherness of things. And after I've returned, when I've returned here and now, I know that trickster would never have bothered with me had I not noticed the magic in the first place. So what living in a shamanic cosmology does for you as a contemporary person, you don't have to become a shaman to live in a shamanic cosmology because there's a whole lot of people in the life of a shaman that are just the people in the village, the community, and they're all living in the shamanic cosmology. And for me, the great value in making that choice from trashing my old cosmology and accepting a new one is that it to do that makes you interesting. It makes you interesting to spirit. Spirit bothers to pay attention to you and to show you things. And I don't just mean this egotistical fantasy in your mind that you're somehow special and every possible idea you have is some message from God because you're the Messiah. I don't mean that. I mean in those ordinary moments when you're having a moment just wondering about the profound beauty I don't know, of a cow lily, of a beetle, of a child's laughter, of the sunlight on your sweetheart's cheek. Just something in those moments that become doorways to so much more. If you're interesting, if you've become someone spirit's even going to bother with. So one can become trapped in any cosmology. And so this is in many ways my great gratitude to science, to chemistry. Is those little, those ideas about that impossibly small world just kept hammering away at my reality until it broke. Which made other things hammering away at my reality break my reality even easier. And so I give great thanks to chemistry for being the first and most persistent uh, world reality to break down mine so that I could see differently is that is absolutely essential because we can become trapped in a cosmology. You can become trapped in the way you have chosen to interpret what is going on around you in the world. You can be trapped in the way you've chosen to interpret where you came from, where you are going, why you are here. And so a cosmology is either going to open your eyes to the magic or it's going to explain it away. So what we say in the cycle teachings is if something is not working for you, stop carrying it around. Now, granted, that's easier said than done. But the point is you need to notice this cosmology I'm dragging around that I got you know, free of charge from my contemporary American life isn't really working for me. It makes it really hard for me to be grounded in reality. I'm not seeing the magic. In fact, mostly this kind of sucks. All I see is the problems in the world with this cosmology. Then let it go and pick a new one. So some journey questions you could ask is, what am I carrying around that is actually now working against my conscious intention. Because you can't just ask what's not working for me because the truth of the matter is everything was working for you at some point in time or you wouldn't be carrying it around. But the point is it's not working for you now. It is not working with you towards the manifestation of your conscious intention. Another way you could approach this whole thing I've been talking about is simply to ask your helping spirits, please show me the magic that I missed today. And they'll take you on a nice review of your whole day and show you every moment of magic 
that you walked right by and didn't take in, didn't acknowledge, didn't believe in, and in that belief make real. So another reason people choose not to be grounded in reality and to see the magic is because they are trapped in an ideology. Not, not something quite as big as a cosmology, but just an ideology. In other words, they have been taught to believe in something that they are now trapped inside. So they're now, they're now trapped inside that learned interpretation of the world. So being trapped in an ideology is similar to being trapped inside your own story. And by that, I mean your smallest story, the lies you tell yourself versus the living of the legend, right? Your little smallest story. So the way I see the difference is that an ideology is an import. It is foreign and it is accepted as a whole set of beliefs and ideas, right? Whereas your own story is created sort of randomly and organically from your own life experience and it's unique to you. And I, an ideology in contrast to that is shared by other people usually or it can be shared by other people because it's a coherent system that can just be imported um, into another mind. Um, so another way to think about all of this is to think about the fact that you're actually always grounded in something. Humans really can't function without being grounded or, or at least creating the perception that they're grounded. But some of the things we ground ourselves in you know, instead of actually engaging in practices to ground in the physical world. So some of the things we ground ourselves in are stories or ideologies that are terrible for grounding. So, for example, let's take a hate-based ideology like white supremacy, for example. They make for terrible grounding. So in any hate-based ideology, there's this great seduction. And in that seduction, there's this frothing up of this, this hate that feels so powerful. And in that, that hot, fiery, hateful power, there's this illusion that we're grounded. But this, this idea, the sensation of grounding, in quotes, um, is, an utter, is utterly ideology-referential. So that, that, that sort of groundedness is in this idea. It's not even self-referential, which would be at least in the body. It's all in the mind. And in this case, the person has given themselves over to an idea that has no actual basis in reality. So it exists only in the reality shaped by the ideology. So if one were to practice grounding they would not find this ideology in natural reality. It's in human created reality. This is not a great thing to ground in. You know, there's no grounding there. Um, only actually the opposite, that we become utterly lost in this idea because the grounding is, you know, referential to the ideology itself and it just becomes a loop. You're completely lost. So that's an extreme example. So let's look at something closer to home. Any of you who feel others are wrong because they don't live your ideals like veganism or yoga or Buddhism or whatever it is, not that there's anything wrong with those things, but many people use their belief in those things as the right way like a sledgehammer. It's the same thing as a hate-based ideology only on a smaller scale. Everybody who believes in a fundamentalist beliefs believes they're believing in the right thing. That's the whole point of fundamentalism. So what's happening is, or what needs to happen is we need to be grounded in our practice, not in our ideas. Right? And we need to look for the magic, not everybody else's mistakes. To fixate on what's not working, all the mistakes other people are making, is an unerring sign that you have actually collapsed your belief in a bigger vision, that you are no longer grounded but are lost in the idea. And it is actually a sign of a doubting heart. And so that, that groundedness that we get from that is being fueled in the idea in the same way, it's so a smaller scale, as some hate-based ideology. So noticing that we are lost in our stories 
and no longer grounded in reality is a bit more challenging to notice because our stories are familiar. I mean, noticing we're grounded in an ideology is somewhat easier because the ideology itself is foreign, right? It's a little more challenging to notice your stories, but one way to notice is, you know, not feeling it, not feeling grounded, not noticing the magic in reality. Uh, So we tell ourselves stories about not being enough, about how that ayahuasca journey means that I've been chosen by Aya to spread the message, uh, that if I use my power, I'll be abandoned. If I express my true self, no one will love me. The list goes on and on and on. There is no magic in those stories. There's some fantasy thinking in some of them, but there's no magic. So journey questions you could engage in to, to try to I find ideologies or stories that you're in is what stories do I tell myself about reality that exclude the real magic and then based on let's say you get three stories so then working one story at a time please show me what I ground into in my story of blah 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 instead of reality so you'll see what it is in that story that creates this illusion of groundedness and then You've got an energy that false, that energy you're falsely grounding into that needs to be released. And most of us have a fire ritual on the horizon, do we not, everyone? Solstice is two weeks away. It's a great way to prepare for the fire. Find the ideologies and the stories that you ground into instead of the real story here, what's really going on. The things that keep you from the magic of your life and the magic of who you are. Find out what you ground into in those stories and release that energy into the fire. Ask for spirit's help to let this falseness go and then practice. Practice what you know you need to do to be grounded and move in the world. So keep in mind, perhaps, as you're preparing for your fire, this Haitian proverb The gods won't appear. The magic won't happen if you are not living your real life. Studying life is not living life. Therefore, has no magic. So, when today's topic was listed on the Facebook page, um, a listener emailed me with this question. Um, When I think of life magic, I definitely think about synchronicity. I'm wondering if you would share some of your thoughts about this magic. And I would also love to hear one of your personal experiences of synchronicity, if you don't mind sharing. I find synchronicity stories to be incredibly inspiring, and I'm grateful for these types of experiences. So I think for most people, if they read the words life magic, they would think that the whole show is going to be about synchronicity. That's that's a pretty... Um, familiar association. What I find most interesting about synchronicity these days is watching how hard life works to make it happen. So one of my favorite examples actually happened almost five years ago, but <coughs> as, as I've said before on other shows, you know, my, the man who is now my husband, uh, he and I both swam in the mornings at the same pool for six months before he ever noticed me. And so the, the, the possibility for that synchronicity arose day after day after day. And it wasn't until all the factors got arranged, all the factors came into place, that that synchronicity of the meeting ever happened. And it's been history since then. But, but the point that is interesting to me now about synchronicity is not that it happens because if you're looking at the magic in life, that's obvious that it's happening, but more how hard life works to give us these synchronicities. So at the same time, you know, I see life really busting its creative ass to make synchronicities happen for people and they walk right on by choosing not to notice. So caught up in their smartphones, in iTunes, in Scandal, in the media-spun drama of the moment, or simply whining. If life isn't magic for you, then you aren't noticing. 
And I say that with some of my most destitute and desperate clients in mind, for it is these individuals in their graves that taught me what it is to choose to see the magic. It is easy to do when life is good. It's hardly even a choice at that point. The people in my life who taught me what it means to choose to see the magic are those who chose every day to affirm their relationship with that real energy world, even though the human-mediated part of their lives was really, really shitty. But they chose to see the magic anyway. That's what it means to make that choice. So French microbiologist Louis Pasteur said, in the fields of observation, chance favors only the prepared mind. You can prepare your mind, and I would suggest that you do prepare your mind, to notice what the world wants you to notice. You know, because of what I've talked about, cosmologies, ideologies, your own personal stories, you can prepare your mind to notice anything. You will notice what those stories tell you to notice. So my suggestion is that you use the solstice fire to prepare your mind to see that which the world wants you to see, that which life wants you to see. Trust the magic and the synchronicities to take you to where you need to go. So prepare your mind to notice that. More conservative minds deprive coincidence of meaning by treating it as background noise or garbage. But the shape-shifting mind pesters the distinction between accident and essence and remakes this world out of whatever happens. These are words from Lewis Hyde from Trickster Makes This World. Either way, he continues, the intelligence that takes accidents seriously is a constant threat to essences or status quo. For an economy of categories, which is our current economy, for an economy of categories, whenever the value of accident changes, so too does the value of those essences. So this quote from Lewis Hyde is about the exchange of energies, about preparing your mind to notice the accidents and the coincidences and how an accident that becomes a reality that is embraced can change everything. And that is how the trickster changes the world. So you may want to change things. You may want people to stop eating animals. Okay, then stop judging others for not eating meat or for being fat. You know, whatever it is you find yourself judging people about, if you want to change the world, a stance of judgment towards the things you want to change is old story. It is positional. It is righteous zealotry. And it isn't a change. It is the old world manifest. If you want to be part of the new story, You need to understand how the trickster functions in the world. If you want to change things, ground yourself in reality. Choose to see the magic and invite trickster in. Whenever the value of accident changes, so too does the value of essences or the status quo. To call trickster in, you've got to love it all. You don't get to hate part of it. You don't get to be angry at part of it. It doesn't matter if you think you're angry and hate the right things. It's not how spirit works. If you want to call trickster in, which is the only way to actually change the world, then you've got to love it all and leave your stories behind. Nothing is ever what it appears to be. The trickster represents the element of life not accounted for by fate or destiny. This is why choosing to see magic matters. It is in one's hands to change one's lot. Changes are brought about by individual effort 
industry, and will, as well as by chance and accident. And this is where the trickster comes in. He is the complement to fate. He represents the elements of life not accounted for by fate or destiny. Again, this is Lewis Hyde. For this alignment to occur, then you must prepare your mind. And right now, it is filled with cosmologies that don't explain your real reality, ideologies that serve other ends, and stories you no longer need to survive. Prepare your mind to see the magic. And remember, the trickster cannot be trusted. It is a contact that puts us slightly at risk. We open ourselves to disruption whenever we call him in. But it is that opening, that risk, that openness to that disruption that allows miracles, the impossible, or that which we desire in. I give thanks to the trickster. I give thanks to the earth and all that created this life for the magic. I give thanks to the earth below, the sky above, to the ancestors all around, and to the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone. Have a magical week.